this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. You're on a roll. You're, is that four for four today? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep this going for 30 days straight at least. It feels it feels weird and good at the same time, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm getting more honest, uh, um, and it's not even honest in, in any real way. Like I feel like I, I'm always trying to speak the truth on the blog, but I feel like my true voice is coming out more because I'm I'm trying less and less to manufacture it. I think that that's um, the power of doing it every day is it breaks down the pretenses because you can have those pretenses set up, you know, like the, we all get into like this fake voice. Um, But then like after two or three, maybe even after a week, you're like, you're just like too tired and that voice doesn't come out at all. (laughs) And you're like, I'm lucky I got anything out today. So that's about as honest as it gets. Absolutely. And and it's funny you say that because the post that I put up today is literally that voice. That's when things get really interesting because you start running out of ideas too. <laughs> well, it, what's funny is I the the thing that I have I posted today. Um, I feel like there's just ten subjects specifically in that already, um, and and I I could literally sit here and write for the next ten hours um, about the perils of aging and what it does to you, you know, not just the bad stuff, but the good stuff as well. Um, but today I just, you know, it's one of those days I woke up this morning and my body was sore and, and old and creaky. Um, you know, in the afternoon I felt kind of tired because the sun was out and I was trying to like survive my way through that. And then obviously in the evening, like I've never, I've never been cold in my life. I know that sounds crazy, but you know, I've never been susceptible to cold the way most people are. Um, you know, I used to practice, um, on the on the ice hockey rink, for example, in shorts and a t-shirt, my teammates used to think I was crazy. So for the first time in my life, like I'm I'm cold, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't really I'm not used to that feeling. That's true. When I think about it, I've never seen you wear a heavy jacket ever. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't do it, man. I just don't do it. You know, you know, I, I think 
unintentionally we've the, the, the last like three minutes worth of conversation are like perfect for this episode. So have we started, Chad? No, oh, yeah, we started. <laughs> okay. I figured as much. I'm getting a lot of like weird interference though. So hopefully that's yeah, not gonna yeah, come not, across. Yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not I've never really been a code guy, you know, like I, I like my mobility. I know that sounds super weird, but it's a you know, it's 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 a preference of mine to have um, as much movement in my limbs as possible. And I've always felt, you know, like wearing heavy jackets and things like that have, have hindered that. But um, I, I am now layering up. I've got you know, a sweatshirt, a, a long sleeve t-shirt, a regular t-shirt on. I have sweatpants and socks on. I used to never wear socks around the house. Like I used to walk, I walked around barefoot um, essentially up until I was like 35. Um, <laughs> you know, I never wore socks or slippers or any crazy thing like that. But now, every day, man, my feet get cold. I, I, I put on some these little muckluck looking booties. You know, walk around. I have always been the same thing with. Well, actually, I take that back. Apparently, according to my mother, who I was talking to about this the other day, when I was a kid, I never wanted to take off my jacket, my coat, and my socks, um, my shoes, and my socks. I mean, um. But then I started walking around barefoot and my whole life I've always wanted to be barefoot. And right now, it's not even that cold. Right now I'm wearing thick socks and slippers. Nice. <laughs> we're old men now, I guess. That's yeah, what happens. We're old men. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it, and it's weird how, oh man, this is such a great... It, it, this literally rolls exactly into what I wanted to talk about for this episode, um, which is how differently we see the things we hold so dear um, with age, you know? Oh yeah. And not even, not even the, 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 the obvious stuff, things like books we've read or anything like that. Um, and even more recent things like Inception, for example, I, I have a very different feeling towards that movie now than I did when I first saw it. How so? Um, I understand the plight of feeling old and feeling lost mm-hmm. in the oldness. You know what I mean? And I and I never really quite understood that before. I I didn't understand the 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 dreariness of meandering through a life so familiar that it seems to repeat itself every day. You know, um, even though I'm not a parent and neither are you, when I watch movies, I, I find myself watching parents in movies more often. Like I was watching Home Alone recently. And I found myself thinking a lot about uh, the mother in that movie, Catherine O'Hara. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh man, what that? Mo-? And I realized I'm like, I wasn't sympathizing with uh, with Kevin anymore. I was actually thinking about her. I'm like, that sucks. You're like all the way across the country. Your kid is home alone, and it was it, a completely different movie experience for me. Yeah, it's really weird. Also, to think of uh, oh, it's. It's it's weird you say that. I just recently watched Die Hard again because that's the go-to Christmas movie for me, <laughs> and and it's really weird to think that um, you know, like even in the later Die Hard movies, Bruce Willis's character, um, you know, you you try to think of what his motivations are. Um, like I, I think the one that I'm thinking of specifically specifically is Live Free or Die Hard, which by the way, a lot of people hated, but I actually really really liked. Um, I I really liked Timothy Oliphant as an actor, and I thought he was a great villain. And I also like Maggie Q as a, a badass action star. So, you know, she's also extremely beautiful. So it kind of helps and she kicks ass because she actually knows Kung Fu. Um, but I, I keep thinking to myself, what are the motivations for Bruce Willis's character in, in a lot of these movies, right? So the first couple of, the first Die Hard is obvious, you know, he just wrong place, wrong time. And that's kind of the running theme through all of these movies. But in Live Free or Die Hard is a different situation. You know, he, his kid is involved and I now completely understand 
that I, I see the movie through a different lens. You know, I see the movie through the lens of, of, of a parent trying to save their child and not a guy trying to save his country out of some weird misplaced sense of patriotism. And it becomes a much more specific experience. Like the emotions become more, more raw to me because it's, this guy will literally do anything to save his daughter. I think that's why they say that. Um, I think it's, it's a misunderstood thing when people say, as people get older, they become more conservative. And I think that for a long time, especially me, I interpreted that in a political sense. But in reality, it's a it's a outlook on the world. Um, you know, you, you start associating in a more conservative way, in the sense that, um, you know, like oh, these these socks are nice. You know, these these are nice socks. And yeah, the socks <laughs> I'm wearing right now, somebody gave me, and the, they have Santa Claus's face on them. And I would have been too cool to wear these when I was younger. But you know, I'm home alone. <laughs> I'm recording a podcast. My feet are cold. These socks are awesome. And that's, you know, <laughs> it's like a more, more conservative outlook where you're just like, oh, you're appreciative of smaller things because you've seen so much already. And I think that that's part of what that means. And it's also the idea that when you're younger, you know, everything is new and you're, you're conquering something all the time. When you're older, you, you've, you've failed and, and succeeded all, probably all you're going to do in the majority of the bulk of your life. Now you're trying to reap the benefits of your successes and your failures. So you're 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 settled in into a worldview that's probably not going to change much. You know, old people aren't real. Older people aren't really changing political parties or changing, you know, their taste in movies. They just sure. they've already figured out that like, this is what works for me. And I think that's a quote unquote conservative perspective. You know, the interesting byproduct of that for me too is just a stronger sense of appreciation for things. Um, and so I know that sounds really corny. I mean, all it, it, we for, as, as, as kids and as rebels and as writers and as the, the dickheads we are as we're growing up, like we have this, this, this automatic um, reaction to the establishment, right? Like we, we all, like, especially guys like you and I, like we always want to buck the establishment, like read some Hunter S. Thompson or some Bukowski and be these rebels and, you know, find that hidden um, Sonic Youth track on a, an LP that you could only buy in like Spain in 1995. I know that's weirdly specific, but that's actually there. Um, <laughs> the, but the, 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 the weird thing is all of these corny, stupid things like, you know, um, these, these songs about friendship and kindness and care and, and the friendships that I have now and the relationships that I cultivate through those friendships are actually things I, I value in, a, in what I consider to be a much older way than I ever have. And that's a very recent thing in my life. Yeah, there's this, I think, in some way, which is funny, because this is some of the stuff that kind of comes up in the novel, but maybe now that like we're talking about it and in the time I've been doing this, I realize I'm like, oh, I could go deeper on this stuff. But there's the idea that life, um, it, most people, it beats the snottiness out of most of us. And that's not, that's not necessarily a negative thing. In most cases, that's a good thing. You know, when you're young, you want the fire because the fire is what uh, it drives you to try things that other people haven't tried. That's how we break new ground. That's how the world evolves and changes and society changes and grows. That's why, you know, racism goes out of favor because of young people. You know, old people aren't changing their minds on those things. That's just like we said. But as you get older, life slowly beats those things out of you with like those, those same successes and failures that we were talking about. 
And that changes your whole worldview on everything because as it's beating those things out of you, it's sometimes it's beating it out of you with, like you said, soreness, back pain that you never had before, uh, <laughs> bumps in places that they don't belong. Um, and it, as you get older and those things happen more and more, you move closer and closer to a reality of being dead. And <laughs> you learn to appreciate the things that are less flashy because you know that they don't sustain. So you're looking for something sustainable. I'm moving towards death. Uh, people bring me comfort. People are valuable. Oh, I'm learning that now. You know, like that's, I think that's what happens. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to imagine that. Like, I mean, that's mortality is such an interesting thing. Um, and, and I, I will, I will be honest about that now. Like I, I've never in my life really thought about it. I, not even a conscious thought of any kind about, you know, um, and I guess that's, that's kind of the invincibility of youth. Um, and and you're right. I think that the snottiness comes from that. You know, it comes from the sense of of just just undeserved invulnerability <laughs> that we all think we have through a certain age. And and I think the conservative mindset that you're talking about um, is as much about being more cautious as it is about being conservative. Because I don't necessarily think I'm more conservative. I think I'm a pretty liberal guy, but I'm definitely more careful. You know what I mean? Like I I, I know. Like it, it, there's that statistic out there that says that if you don't skydive by the time you're like 35, you'll never do it. Um, which you know, for the most part, I assume is true. Um, but I don't think it speaks to people being more afraid. I think it speaks to people knowing the value of things. You know, understanding the value of things like like your life and your health and your friendships and things like that. Well, it's not just realizing the value; it's also realizing uh, the repetitive patterns. You know, for example. I'm not going to run in the kitchen wearing socks ever again because the last time I did it, I slid and I fell and I hurt my hip for three days. You know, you do that two or three times over the course of 10, 15 years and it becomes this thing. I never run in socks. And that's kind of part of what, you know, this experience accumulating as you age, it starts to define what you believe, not by choice, but literally by accumulation of experience um you know we that's why it's really hard to change older people's minds it's not because you know they're bad or wrong people it's literally because as human beings we overestimate our own experience we overestimate our own data you know if it happened to me and it happened to people i know therefore it must be true and it must happen to everybody and it it that's why t- people tend to be more conservative is because conservative views, and then this is not a pol- political conservative view. I mean, conser- conservative worldviews, the idea of conserving, the idea of, of maintaining traditions and, and keeping things the way that they were. All of those ideas are rooted in your own experience. So you're saying, I know this, this works because I've experienced that. Therefore, I don't want it to change. Yeah, and, and and allowing the world to reshape around you um, is a very scary thing, you know. And I know that that that, that it's inevitably going to happen. That's just the nature of the world as it is. I mean, if it isn't evolving, then then why are we here? But the the I definitely understand what you mean. Like, it's not conservative in the sense that you're suddenly a racist or anything crazy like that, or you believe that corporations should run the world or anything. It's it's not about that at all. You know, it's about it's about having this sense of of familiarity. That is terrifying to lose. <laughs> right. And there's also, you know, the way, like you said earlier, that um, 
people gravitate towards family and friends as they get older more and more. They also gravitate towards religion more and more as they get older. And some of that, yes, is the fear of impending death. But also it's because usually as you get older, that sense of religion and that sense of family and friends, it's all tied together. And maybe not necessarily in your family and friends are all at your church or something like that. But that same feeling of belonging to something and for something to be responsible to you as you are to it is something that you crave as you get older. I, I feel I feel it in myself, even though I'm not a religious person. I feel a craving for there's to be something more because what you as you get older, you start realizing, oh, that shit that I was gonna do, that's never gonna get done. Because I'm I'm never gonna be that person. I can't I can't go back and be that person again. So you're you're letting go of things over and over again. And as you do that, you're letting go of meaning and definition of who you are. So as you start to lose that, you need something else to hold on to. And people jump to religion. Man, isn't that isn't that weird though? I mean, I, I find myself thinking of spirituality a lot more these days than than I ever have in my life. Like, I mean, I'm I don't get me wrong, I'm still a fairly staunch atheist, but I mean, you know, the 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 question of is that it enters my mind now. You know, like is this it? Like is 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 everything that we're doing here and now pretty much all that I'm ever gonna do and see? You know, it's it's I understand why people fall back on religion. You know, it's it's such it's a comfort. Uh, it's 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 a warm blanket in the cold blackness of reality. And I think that there 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 has to be, you know, I, I know for me, for example, it's a conscious choice. Like I have to choose it. I have to choose to to stick to my idea that, you know, when when this is done, this is done. And and I find myself having having difficulties with that thought from time to time. And I didn't think that I ever would. <laughs> well, of course, because you still thought you were going to conquer things, right? You know, sure. that's that's where our meaning comes from is what, you know, the way we view tomorrow is how we is how we deal with today. You know, if if somebody thinks that their, you know, their house is going to explode tomorrow and there's nothing they can do about it, guess what? Today's going to suck. But if they think tomorrow they're going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, they feel they feel pretty good today. You know, like knowing what's coming or believing we know what's coming, it transforms that future into now. You know, we live in that. That's, you know, that's the essence, the, the essence of what anxiety and stress are. You know, you're waiting for something, um, anticipating the worst thing that's coming up, but you're not only anticipating it, you're making it now. You're bringing it into a reality now. So as you get older and you look at the future and that changes the way that you look at the future, it changes the way you feel about now. Because, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to play football again. That's, that's never going to happen. You know, <laughs> I'm 42 years old. Sure, I could get in shape to go out there, but the chance of me, you know, shattering a bone—I've never broken a bone before, so that's particularly frightening for me. But getting out there and shattering a bone and walking weird the rest of my life—it's—it's <laughs> it's a reality, a possibility, right? It's a possibility of reality, and in my head, it's a reality. Because I'm like, now that I know that's possible, I can't not think of that. So it changes the way I view tomorrow. It's like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Therefore, I'm no longer this. Poof, that part of me disappears. You know, the interesting dynamic, though, with doing this blog is that I actually look strangely forward. Um, and it reminds me of how little I looked forward before. Um, you know, I was so panicked by my days and, and just so busy and, 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 and so wrapped up in the things that I had to do that I wasn't taking 
a second to really understand where I was or what was going on. So I actually think that, you know, if, if for no other reason, I think that blogs or vlogs or, or journals or diaries or whatever version of that that you have is such a necessary thing because it helps you to, to, to give a tangible aspect to your reality that then helps you to, to have a grounding point, you know, like it, it brings you back and, and it makes you ask important questions of yourself. And, and it's fascinating how, how much better I feel about my days now that I'm doing this blog on, on a daily basis. Oh yeah. I can tell you that it, it's a, it's a transformative experience, especially if you, there's a bad way to do it. I'll say this, that at least in my experience, there's a bad way to do it. And, and this it reply, this applies more to um, private journaling than it does for blogging. Though some people do tend to do this publicly. Um, that's when you focus on, you know, if you're, if you're prone to anxiety, and instead of using that as a way to break out of that anxiety and to be present, you use it as a way to dive deeper into the anxieties. Um it can make things worse because now you're, you know, you're really living in that worldview even more. And uh, I, I was prone to that when I was younger. And if I find those journals, I, I open them up and I start reading and I can't, I, I can't because it'll literally start giving me anxiety because they're filled with anxiety and they're filled with hypochondria and all these things. And it starts bringing it out in me in the moment. So I guess, uh, you know what I said about the future, uh, seeing the future, brings it to now i guess kind of the past can do that too that's weird i didn't think about that before huh well i mean i guess in, in many ways like trying the struggle for for us as, as humans now is to try to find a way to anchor ourselves in the present right like i mean living in the moment and all that kind of junk um i mean don't get me wrong i don't i don't mean to dismiss it as an idea but i definitely think that there there are smart ways to go about it. And I think one of the the more detrimental ways to go about it is to be too caught up in nostalgia as well. Like, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. You know, it, of course, I think for all of us, our, our manic selves manifest themselves differently from person to person. Like for me, it, it definitely wasn't anxiety. It was much more despair. Like, what's the point? We're, we're all just worms meet in the end and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So my version of it was much more despair-based than anxiety-based. But I definitely find myself tracking through that. Like, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things that I did um, before I started blogging was started going through all of my old old writing, like my my creative writing. Um, so I was going through, you know, my poetry, um, and there is definitely that strong sense of despair that built into the voice of that 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 version of me, and I I I I had a very similar reaction. Um, to you in that, you know, I, I found myself empathetic to that version of myself and I found myself diving back into those feelings. And I, I almost feel like I had to slam the book on it really quickly before it took me down too far that road. You know, what's interesting is I was listening to something the other day and unfortunately I don't remember what it was, but it was somebody talking about, um, I don't know if it was their f- first meeting with a psychiatrist or just a subsequent meeting but they said something along the lines of the psychiatrist said something along the lines of depression and uh, the client said, client, the patient said, I don't have depression. I have anxiety. And the psychiatrist said, sweetheart, anxiety is a form of depression. Sure. And like that made so much, I, I, I never put that together, but it made so much sense. It's like, Oh, 
that's why I transformed from what you're talking about. I used to be very despair focused when I was younger. And that's how I made the transition to anxiety. I, I always thought it was weird. I'm like, how did I end up at opposite ends of the spectrum? Oh, you didn't. They're, no, the same they're part of the same spectrum. It's the same damn thing. You know, it's, it's, I, I just had a conversation with uh, two of my psych friends about this too. And like, depression is kind of the core of it, but the manifestation of it is so different from person to person. Yeah. I mean, essentially, when you, when you really start to dissect what depression and what anxiety are, is there an overabundant focus on yourself? It's like an extreme form of megalomania without um, any confidence in who you are, you know, like without liking yourself. So sure. you're just over, you're literally eating yourself live. So, you know, you're, you're overthinking things to the point where they depress you or you're overthinking them so hard that it begins to eat you up and your body starts falling apart on you. Oh, so true. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm neck deep in that now. But I do, I do hear you though. I mean, I think one of the, the great things about about the blog is that it's allowing me to step outside of myself and to really take a look um, at, at, at who I am beyond the confines of my own body. I know that sounds really weird and almost metaphysical, and I don't mean it to, uh, because in, in, a lot of men, in a lot of very specific ways, I actually hate the idea of metaphysics. Um, but I definitely feel that you have moments of objectivity and and subjectivity in your life, and you kind of flip flop between the two, you know. And I feel like we're at our best when we can maintain that objectivity, not just about us, but about the world as well. It's interesting you bring up that idea of um, outside of your body, this, this idea of metaphysics, because I just finished reading that Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind, about psychedelics. And there's one part in it that just I can't get out of my head. And I don't remember if it was, actually I do, it's his DMT experience. So he, the first like third of the book, he talks about the modern history of psychedelics. Then he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple trips. He's never done it before. He's like 60 something year old man. Um, so I think he starts with, he had an accidental experience of some sort. I think it was with psilocybin. Had something to do with, um, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It happened accidentally. So the next three that he talks about in the book, one's acid, one's psilocybin, and then the last one is DMT. And when he does the DMT one, he describes it as being on the on the nose of, I think I've used this metaphor before when we talked about DMT, being on the nose of a rocket. And you know you can feel the G-force pushing all the skin of your face back. And one of the things that he said in there is he said, I felt the self dissolve away and I completely lost all semblance of myself. He says, but then I thought, who's noticing that? If the self is gone, who's noticing that the self is gone? And I can't get that out of my head. Huh. It's, it's, it's almost like a Zen Cohen. I just keep like spinning around and around in circles in my head. That's interesting. It's, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing about it where it's like, it's a question you can't... I think the reason it's really difficult is um, some would assume that it's because, oh, well, because maybe you haven't done psychedelics or whatever. No, it's not that. I think it's because it rings true. Sure. There, there are times with, with nothing to do with psychedelics at all 
at normal, sober moments in our life when we realize that there is the self and then there is something above that, almost like an over-self that is observing the self. You know, you're doing something and then there's another voice inside of you going, why are you doing that? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Or you're saying something and you're going, why am I saying that? I wonder, I wonder if we're going to get into Freud here. Well, I, I've never actually read Freud, so. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, that might be. Oh, well, and for anyone who doesn't know, um, we're going to be diving into artist profiles again at some point. Well, not artist profiles, but I think people profiles is going to be a better way to put it. Because I actually want to do some people at some point that are not artists. Um, well, yeah, not even, I wouldn't even limit it to artist profiles. We're just going to do studies. <laughs> Yeah, we're just going to study people. (laughs) Sometimes, most of the time, people. If you guys listen to the old episodes, I think we talked about this last episode a little bit. I don't want to tease them too much until we actually have one done. Because (laughs) the worst thing would be like, we're going to do this. And then it never happens. Sure. Um, But yeah, I would love to, as a subject, I would love to dive into that idea of the the two selves. Because I I don't know what that means. It, it does seem to point to towards towards something more f- mystical, but it also might be kind of like what we had talked about before, that the idea of what we believe and we operate society on, the idea of self, might not actually be the reality of the self, that it may be something far more complex than we understand. Mm. I wonder if there's... I mean, if we're if we're analyzing this at its base level, I wonder then what the state of the self in what you're describing is like. Is which one of you is you? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, that's that's probably a confusing way to say and, and almost a little idiotic. But you know, like what what part of you is the aware part that exists in the world as we know it? Right. Um, in mindfulness. Sometimes they'll refer to it as uh, the two selves as the, I can't remember what the, the normal self, you know, the one that's, that gets caught up in petty things. Sure. That one, I can't remember what it's called. And the other one is called the observing self or the watching self. Uh, huh. And the, with mindfulness practices, they teach you to stop um, living in the other self and to pull back into that one more. You know, like hear what's going on. Look at what you're seeing, you know, like actually experience this and not feel that you have to make a judge. It's the judging self, the judging self and the watching self. To live Interesting. less in the judging self and more in the observing or watching self. Oh, that, I mean, at its core, that's kind of what everything that I try to do with Holy Fool is. You know, opinions are asserted all over the place, but there's no definitive answers. You know, there's there's things that you and I have talked about on the show that we've probably said the opposite of before. <laughs> oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure it's happened recently, actually. I, it's funny you say that. I was literally thinking that um, as we were going into this episode um, because of the blog post that I wrote, you know, some of the things that, that I know that we've contradicted ourselves. And it's not necessarily that either of those particular things are wrong. It's that the idea of them changes over time and with age or with a certain situation or experience, you know? So any number of things can be right or wrong at any given time. Well, it's like the famous um, Whitman quote, uh, do I contradict myself? Very well then. I am vast and I contain multitudes. 
sure. There's well, that was that was spot on. Well done. <laughs> Song of myself. That was I, I read that way too much. <laughs> Talk yeah, about the depressive self. Yeah, <laughs> that's a place to go. <laughs> oh, Walt Whitman. Jeez. But yeah, they, I think that a lot of this stuff is on my mind more just because of all the crap that's been going on with my chest all week. So. Yeah, you want to you want to tell people a little bit about what the hell you're feeling? <laughs> it's uh, not awesome. It is the sensation, and actually, it's not the sensation. It is the reality of a heartbeat that skips. So, um, let's see. Today, two days ago, I just I went out. I bought my first Kindle, and I was like, "This, this is going to be cool." You know, they're better for my eyes and less distracting. And I was sitting in my chair and just slowly, just kind of moving my books into it and all of that. And then all of a sudden, you know, if this is my heartbeat and then all of a sudden comes back harder, back into it. And then it continues about 35 times. And then, and I, I, if you've never experienced that, I tried to, I talked about this in one of my blogs this week to try to explain it and I don't even think I begin to touch it your body knows what it's supposed to feel like and it knows what that heartbeat is supposed to feel like even if it's different speeds it knows the tempo or not the tempo it knows the pace you know it knows the space between the beats and when one misses everything goes <gasps> like wait a minute what the hell yeah so you know here I am looking at this book and all of a sudden I'm like whoa what's that and it just kept happening. And then it continued for about five hours. Um, so, yeah, that was not fun. So, of course, message the doctor and he tells me. So he says, that sounds like um, early pulse. And essentially what that means, this is really complex. And uh, let's try to boil this down as simple as, it can, as, it, as I understand it. Every cell in your heart has a pace of its own. And the only reason that they beat together is because the main thing that shoots electricity through your heart, the main pacemaker of your heart is faster than the other ones. So it shoots the electricity across all the cells of your heart. And when that happens, it resets all of those timers on all of those muscles. So they're always in sync with that main one. But if one decides all of a sudden to go early, it happens early. And it, it's so because it's alone, it's really small. So then it misses a beat. Your heart misses a beat. That is terrifying. And then your blood pressure drops, which is what you feel. You know, you feel like almost like you're holding your breath. Your blood pressure oh, drops. And then it comes back harder because now it has twice as much blood for that next pump because it didn't oh. hit that other one. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's the, my basic understanding of what this cardiologist had sent me, right? That is awful. Okay. Yeah, and that, so that would, I've had heart problems in the past, so that would scare the shit out of me. It's terrifying. And uh, so then yesterday it happened again, except this time it was like three really close group together and i'm like okay that's that 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 that's worse i didn't think it could get worse that's worse uh so i end up on the phone with an advice nurse you know just going i'm not panicking but i'm going 
is this normal? You know, they told me this is in, that this happens. Is this part of that thing that's supposed to happen? Can it happen like this? And of course, you know, say, are you lightheaded? No, I'm not lightheaded. Did you lose consciousness? No. Did you fall over? No. Do you have chest pain? No. Do you have shortness of breath? No. Okay, well, you're not symptomatic of anything going on with your heart. So, you know, anything in, in the sense of a heart attack. Sure. So, yeah, it's probably just that thing. But you, you should talk to your doctor. <laughs> so I talked to my doctor this morning. He's like, yeah, he says, that sounds, he says, he says, it sucks. He says, keep an eye on it. You know, if it continues, then maybe we'll try to see if we can uh, look into it further because it shouldn't happen for a lot. He says, but it's probably stress and anxiety. And if you've ever had stress and anxiety and somebody tells you that something that's <laughs> harmful to you is caused by the stress and anxiety, you start stressing <laughs> and having anxiety about having stress and anxiety. <laughs> so you're walking around going, what can I do to relax? What can I do to relax? What can, oh, uh, maybe I'll drink some chamomile tea. Yeah, I'll just drink a lot of chamomile tea. Let me get some of the CBD oil. And now you're in this manic pace thinking that you're working towards a calm conclusion. And the best thing, the best thing the nurse told me, she says, distract yourself. <laughs> and she's right. That works way better than trying to focus on being calm. Jeez, what is life if not irony? That's crazy. Mm. It's so miserable. It's happened to me twice today already. Jeez, I I can't. I don't know what I do, man. I have I have such such fear about my heart already. Me too. Um, I, I've had I've had heart problems in the past that have just been um like terrifyingly bad. Um, so anytime anything remotely resembling that comes into play, I freak out totally. Oh yeah, like um, God, who was I talking to? There's somebody on on Creative Minds, and we're oh, it was Ryan, and we were talking about anxiety and how most people's anxiety manifests in one form. Sure, like uh, everybody has one form of fear, and and when you have your anxiety, it always manifests in that type of fear. Um, our friend Carlos, when he used to have a lot of anxiety, his was always his throat. He'd always feel like his throat was closing. I've never had a throat thing. Mine has always been heart and chest. So to have a heart and chest thing, <laughs> it's like the worst nightmare for my anxiety. <laughs> yeah, what a what a magical combo that is. And, I mean, and I totally believe them that it's 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 psychosomatic that you know I'm causing it in my brain because we've been talking about this for two and a half minutes and now it's happening. Oh man! All right, yeah, we, we, we should probably shift away from this subject because now I'm starting to feel crazy. <laughs> How are you guys feeling out there? Did we give you anxiety too? Yay! Holiday anxiety. Here, let's let's Enjoy let's everybody. do a little. Let's get the pace right on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, that's what your heart should be doing. Okay, all right. Now we're clear. <laughs> I, I never, I never in my mind think that our episodes can get any weirder. <laughs> I think I think you know this is the apex of weirdness, and then we just smash through it every time. So we're delving deeper and deeper into our own psyches. <laughs> yeah, this man, is not weird just, studies, but it is stuff. weird. Yeah, it is definitely weird. Uh, uh, what are you going to do when you're talking about death and all of these wonderful, cheerful topics? You got to get weird to break yourself out of them. I think that's a good trick. You know, I, I really do. I think that. Um, when you look at, uh, I used to, when I was younger, I used to laugh at like the guys doing like Tai Chi in the park and all this stuff. But um, 
the more you start to have things like this, the more that you experience things like this, the more you understand the place that those those ridiculous looking things have. Because you're like, hmm, if I do this, which looks goofy, but it gets me out of this, I'm I'm down for the goofy. I'm down for the weird. I'm down to dance around in my room. You know, like whatever. I'm down to look at myself in the mirror for 10 minutes just smiling. You know, whatever it is. You're down to do that <laughs> stuff because the misery of not doing it is worse. Sure. I think the name of the episode is Down with the Goofy. Down with the Goofy. That sounds like an anti-Disney like thing. You know, Down with Goofy. Down with Goofy. No more talking dogs. Screw talking <laughs> dogs, man. These things and, are weird. And that weird hat. What is that hat? I don't understand. I mean, I, is he actually... What is Goofy supposed to be? He's supposed to be a dog, right? Right. I mean, he doesn't look anything like a dog. I mean, and why? Why is Pluto so different? <laughs> I don't understand. Like any Pluto of that. doesn't have to wear pants. Yeah, and he doesn't have. He doesn't talk. He doesn't, what the hell? That makes no sense to me. It's called acid. Yeah, right. <laughs> the amount of acid necessary to produce that kind of hallucinogenic effect. I mean, when you really think about it, almost all children's movies and things like that—they're all nuts. None of them make any sense. That's or they're awesome. all like, or they're all ultra violent and crazy. Um, now, like, go back and watch an episode of Tom and Jerry. Trust me. Mm. But the thing, extreme violence going on. There. The thing about Tom and Jerry was it's violence with no consequence. Oh yeah, of course. No one ever actually got hurt, or they get yeah. hurt, but you know it didn't mean anything. It didn't, you know, huge bump swells up, and then the next scene there's no bump. Now it's like. Uh, Go out in into this game and with this machine gun and kill people, and uh, they're dead. <laughs> you know, it has consequence. And I'm not saying things are better or worse, but I'm just saying it's a different, a different outlook on violence. It's a more realistic violence for for children now. I think. Sure, and I agree with that. And I'm not an alarmist that thinks that's necessarily bad. I don't think it does as much harm as people think it does if they have uh, a good family. You know, yeah, it's it's all about guidance. I mean, my parents never. I mean, if anything, my parents were the opposite, right? Like my my parents were immigrants, so they didn't understand things like the TV rating system and the movie rating system. Like, I I saw the Poltergeist at an early age. I saw Nightmare on Elm Street at a pretty early age. I mean, my parents didn't know, and 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 I'm not a homicidal maniac because they were good parents. <laughs> See, I, and I was I got sheltered for a long time. So I saw lots and lots of those Disney movies from the 60s, Pollyanna and all of that crap. That's kind oh, of, yeah. I grew up with all of that stuff. Well, at least, you know, until I was like 10 or something like that when I could pick my own programming. Oh, man, I have no concept of any of that. I mean, I, I started watching adult stuff real early. I remember one of the first shows I ever watched was uh, Magnum P.I. Yeah, the only thing... Oh, yeah, I definitely watched that. Um, the only thing that I... The only time I got to see like really adult stuff was with my dad. You know, if I went to my dad's, he didn't care. <laughs> I remember we went and saw this movie. I'm going to guess. I think it was called Sister, Sister or something. It was like this. Uh, and now I'm digging into my child's memories. So don't expect accuracy here. But I'm pretty sure it had to do with like twin sisters. And they were like, it's like a horror movie, but not like a full horror, like a thriller type thing. Uh, and they're out in the woods or whatever, but there's lots of boobs in that movie from what I remember as a little kid. <laughs> Could have just been two or four, but for me, that was a lot, you know? <laughs> and I just remember sure. not having my eyes covered up. I was like, hmm, so this is, 
this is what adults watch. And it, I mean, it was interesting, but it didn't fascinate me that much. Um, I don't mean the boobs, but I mean just like the, the adult world didn't fascinate me that much because, well, cartoons were pretty awesome when we were younger. What was your favorite cartoon? Mm, that's a- well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. So I'm going to break it up into three age groups. Um, before 10, 10 to 15, 15 and up. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to guess 15 and up is probably Ninja Turtles. And what were the other group? That's, 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 so 10 to 15. And then 10, five, would you say 10, 10 to 15? And then, uh, just and then the 10 and below, yeah. uh, 10 to 15, probably GI Joe or He-Man maybe. Oh, gotcha. Probably. I don't know. Uh, I was way into G.I. Joe, but I think I was way into G.I. Joe because I had the toys. You know, so that connection was really strong. And then before that, I'm it was probably some PBS thing. I'm actually really, really shocked that um, that Futurama didn't make that list. Dude, I was an adult when that came out. Oh, that's what I mean. So 15 and above, is that would that be your favorite past that? Oh, I no. Yeah, no, no, no. I, th- I was just thinking like fifteen. I wasn't thinking anything beyond fifteen above. Oh, I got you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, probably Futurama. Uh, as I don't consider that a cartoon, though. Yeah, that's true. You know, like it's an animated show. A cartoon to me is for kids. I, I think, oh, I see what you mean. I think that. Where, so, th- is there a gray area for you? Like, I, I think that the gray area for me would be something like Ren and Stimpy. I loved that show. That's a good question. I don't know. I think that's actually an adult show that got passed off to kids. I totally agree with that. It was not childish in any way. But then you you see shows that kind of do that toe the line really really well like um SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, I never watched that, so I'm not sure about that. I know that there are some that if I really thought about it I can find some straddlers because yeah, there are um I think that they they try to Oh, well, for example, actually here's a good one is a lot of the not the second version of the Avengers cartoon. The first one, I think it was called Earth's Mightiest. That was for oh, yeah. kids and adults. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, but DC, the the Justice League ones were too. Sure, that was that's definitely for both. Or the or you know the Batman the animated series. I think that was between two. Oh man, I loved that show. It was really good. Was that I, I remember that being the, the place where they introduced Harlequin for the first time. I believe that's the case, and they rolled her into everything else because she was such a popular character. Yep, that's true. At least from what I've heard. Yep. I don't know. I love cartoons, though. I should watch more of them. Maybe I wouldn't have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, you know, I honestly don't even... I, I have no idea where I'd even access cartoons anymore. I assume they're on Netflix, but I haven't looked for such a thing in such a long time. Well, you know what I've been thinking about? Um, did you watch any of the Hanna-Barbera stuff when you were younger? Yeah, of course I did. Yeah. Okay. So I used to watch a lot of Hanna-Barbera, um, including all of the like lesser known shows. Like, you know, they had a superhero show. I don't know if you remember that one. No. Uh, oh, yes, I do. Um, it, Harvey Birdman was a, was, a, was basically a spoof of that. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. he was a character on that, as, as was, um, you know, there was the big chief. Ooh, yeah, I don't remember any of the names of any of those things, but yeah, I remember I remember that show very clearly in my mind. And then there was um they had like the 
there was the family, the space family, and then there was that like uh, rhinoceros armadillo mixture thing that shot yeah. rocks out of its horn. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, that it, it looked like Scooby Doo, but he was a robot. He was yeah. gray. You know, like all the those. Heck, okay, help me out. What was the name of that show? I don't remember, but the he's on Harvey Birdman on an episode of Harvey Birdman. Um, but anyways, the reason I bring that up is all of that stuff is on this thing called Boomerang, um, which used to be a TV channel. It may still be a TV channel. Um, but you can get a streaming service to Boomerang, and I've seriously been considering it. Huh. Just to be able to watch all of that stuff. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it, I think it's... I think Boomerang might be uh, a spinoff of Cartoon Network or and something like that, or it was an attempt to be another Cartoon Network. But it, it, they have, you know, they have the Flintstones, they have Bugs Bunny, they have Scooby Doo, they have all of those. Uh, they have Garfield. I'm looking at the site right now. I'm not remembering all this stuff. I was going to say, if you're doing this from memory, that's impressive. Jeez. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. (laughs) Muttley and, um, you know, the the Wacky Races. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh I do. Yeah, they have that. Tom and Jerry. So, like, all of that, like, classic. There's there's new stuff on there that I'm looking at that I'm like, I have no idea what the hell that is. And this pink dog looks familiar. But anyways, um, that's all on there. And I think it's, like, four dollars a month or something and i was like hmm, maybe i would like to watch every episode of the jetsons or the smurfs oh man the smurfs but i think this kind of plays into our conversation last time when we were talking about soft shows do you think that in your experience do you think that stuff like this you know watching cartoons uh watching children's movies um watching um comedies but like soft comedies you know not like um edgy comedies but just like kind of stupid like maybe romantic comedies you think all of that has ever played into your anxiety ever like has it ever helped or have you ever tried to use it for that no i haven't um but i feel like my experience with it is very different than most people's experiences um i never really watched anything soft throughout the course of my life um for uh, for any any length of time, like for example, I missed pretty much the entirety of Friends. Um, How I Met Your Mother, you know, like all of these. Like the only one I think I, I watched religiously was Seinfeld, and I watched it pretty intently. So I don't know if I've ever had a a, a kind of background noisy show, and so I feel like my sensibilities towards these things are far more serious. Um, and I feel like there's a big portion of my 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 young and middle adult life that is missing because I didn't have that experience. Hmm. Yeah. For me, um, I grew up with a single mother. So my behavior of soft shows is learned behavior. Um, Oh, sure. She never liked hard shows at all. So her still to this day, she's not dead. Um, Still to this day, her whole viewing experience, everything she watches is soft stuff. Um, she likes to watch um, reruns of Designing Women. She likes to watch reruns of The Golden Girls. So do I. Um, uh, she loves, loves, loves the Hallmark Channel. Um, right. And w- what's interesting is a lot of my anxieties when um, when I've peaked 
and anxieties have been in the winter. I don't know if it's just the change in the weather seems to make that happen more often in the winter. Um, and if anybody knows anything out there about the Hallmark Channel, pretty much the moment it drops like five degrees in weather, they play all Christmas movies. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And it goes on that way for like a month and a half. So anytime I've spent time with my mother and happened to be in a place where I was having anxiety, I ended up watching like one of these things with her. And I started finding that I was like enjoying it for that. Where I'm like, not like, like, oh, this is a great movie and I'd recommend it to anyone. But just like, oh, this, this takes a little bit of that weight off of this feeling. Wow, interesting. Just because I don't have to invest in it. So it relieves something from that. And like lately, I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies. I, I never used to like Christmas movies. And it's just, it's been helping a little bit. Obviously not enough to stop the heart palpitations, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that there's, there's a value to those things um, beyond an entertainment value in the sense that... You think, do you think you've naturally gravitated towards them because of that? Because you consciously or unconsciously knew that they would bring you some some ease? I think it's an association. Um, because I, I would assume on a primal scale, because they're associated with the mother, and the mother is associated with comfort and safety in most people's lives, that those two, A, B, you know, A, A equals B, and B equals C, so therefore A equals C. Sure. So I, I think that's what it is. And shit, it, it works to some degree, at least for, you know, for at least half the movie, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> sure. I mean, I watched a really bad one on Netflix last night. I mean, do you have, do you have like a go-to movie that brings you to that space? I don't. I have certain ones, um, but I can't keep going to the same one because it, it, it wears the magic off. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, like uh, this is this is funny. We're talking about this because it's essentially we're talking about something that is really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, movies, soft movies. I really, 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 I actually enjoyed this in a genuine way, but it's also um, provides soft pleasure, which is the most recent animated Peanuts movie. Love that. Um, the Lego Movie is another one. Um, oh, it's a great one. Those are two things I genuinely enjoy um, outside of the context of this. Um, I'll watch Friends. I'll watch Golden Girls. I will watch uh, How I Met Your Mother. Um, I will watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh yeah, TNG's a fallback for me too as well. Sleepless in Seattle. For some reason, oh, I love that movie. I actually love all of those movies. Those Nora Ephron movies from she like was the, a great the- writer. Yeah, she was. And she really knew how to tap into that, like the, that entire slew of movies, like Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail. I mean, there's a few more in there. I don't know them offhand. That's like the masterpiece. Well, when Harry met Sally, she oh. didn't direct it, but she Oh, wrote when it. Harry met Sally, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the winner is Sleepless in Seattle. It's one of the most poignant movies I've ever seen. Yeah, there's. I mean, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say that I still occasionally like get teary at that movie. I, I mean, I've, I've realized in the last few years without ever. Um, particularly um, doing this on purpose, I realized, holy crap, Tom Hanks is my favorite actor. <laughs> and, and He's been on a lot of amazing stuff, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, just a uh, castaway alone. That's You know what's weird? That's, a, that's a, uh, a comfort movie, too. Yeah, I love that movie. I don't know why, 
maybe because uh, what's going on is so far outside of like, this could happen to me right now when I'm having anxiety that I can just kind of get lost in like, holy shit, that's a big wave. And the Tom Hanks movie, the two that I always think of, and it, it shows my serious sensibility, is Saving Private Ryan in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Oh, Philadelphia! That I I still think that's his best performance ever. I've never I rewatched those. I oh, you've got to watch so both powerful. of those movies. They're so powerful. They're such good movies. He was great in the Circle. Did you see that yet? No, I didn't see that. I heard it was really good though. It's, well, no, it's, I didn't hear it was really good. I heard it had very good things about it, but it was overall not the best. I enjoyed it. Um, th- you have to read the book afterwards too, because it, it's different in a good way. I think that it's it's one of those cases where um, the book is tackling something that would be really hard to tackle exactly in in a two hour film, and it, so instead they figured out ways to truncate and to change certain things, and for the most part, to its benefit. Plus, it had a great cast. I mean, you had Karen Gillian, you had Emma Watson, you had Tom Hanks. Um, we talked about this before. It's like your dream cast. <laughs> we talked about this before because I remember me not remembering the the guy from the new Star Wars movies and you telling me his name. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tom Hanks, even in the 80s, in those you know cheesier movies like Splash, or big, oh, yeah. Still oh, so big good. was such a great movie. I mean, big is big is one of my favorites of all time, though. I would say, watch, not you, but I mean the audience, watch Sleepless in Seattle and pay attention to things. Three things actually. Pay attention to the dialogue, because the dialogue in that movie is stellar. It has yeah, an intelligence fantastic. to it that is underrated. Um, like when when they're at the airport. Um, him and his son are at the airport and they're talking about uh, cosmic... His sons keep saying this thing about all this stuff about cosmic connections. The Mm -hmm. dialogue there is so, so well written. And the other two things pay attention to is pay attention, just watch Tom Hanks and watch Meg Ryan. Not necessarily together, just watch them and watch how good and natural of actors they are. And I think that the, the thing is that movie it doesn't get a lot of credit because you have two actors that are so natural that you don't realize how well they're actually acting. But, sure. But the facial expressions and the way they're moving, you never get the feeling ever at any moment that they're acting. And I don't know. I, I mean, just, I've, I've seen that movie twice this week. So it's, it's definitely on my mind. <laughs> actually three times. Jeez, how? I fell asleep to it one time, so the third time technically doesn't count. But my like subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how effective that is. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel good when I wake up if I fell asleep watching something or listening to something. My brain I will say, like, one of my one of my interesting experiences. Like I, I remember once getting a weird amount of high and listening to all of a Star Trek movie with my eyes closed. And that was a very odd experience. You know, that's one thing I don't miss about uh, when I was younger. I used to, when I used to smoke weed is (laughs) I would get, you know, I'm already a very alert person. Unfortunately, I over, over pay attention to things and say anxiety. Um, So at least then weed was not a good thing for me because it ruined a lot of things for me. 
Um, I, oh, I see. I remember smoking some really, really cheap weed. Um, anybody, <laughs> and the reason I specify that if you don't or have never smoked marijuana in your life, then you don't know the difference between a cheap weed high and a better weed high. I'm not going to say good weed, but just better. The cheap stuff has like this stingy feeling and <laughs> it's everything is kind of bitey. You know, like you're kind of high, but you're not yeah. floating. Everything just kind of stings yeah, a little bit. A, yeah, everything's a little sharp, yeah. And everything like kind of gets on your sharper. nerves. <laughs> yeah. Sounds are sharper. <laughs> like people's voices are sharper. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So I smoked a whole bunch of that. And that's my th- I think my theory, I'm going to guess, my theory was maybe if I smoke a bunch of the cheap shit, it'll be decent. <laughs> no. Oh, man. But that is not, I mean, that's not the way it works, my friend. <laughs> we're going back like 20 years here. Um, <laughs> But I was I was crashing out. I was crashing out at, at a friend's house. So there was like three or four of us there. So I'm laying on the carpet and we're watching Saturday old episodes of Saturday Night Live. And we watched the one where Nirvana was on. And oh, I was laying there with my eyes closed. And then Kurt Cobain just started singing. And I was like, oh my God, he is awful. <laughs> because he was, <laughs> Kurt Cobain was not a crooner, you know, like he sang, especially live. One of the stories near the end, um, she says the book was actually finished before this happens and it didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the book <clears throat> because the rest of the book, she was with these, um, at least for part of it, with some really um, intelligent and probably famous people that she can't tell the name of. Um, in Silicon Valley, they're like uh, tech pioneers, and one is like um, a pioneer in this um, aerospace and space industry, and like just like legends. She's like, I was, I was talking like one of them is like a, um, a one of the top ten biotechnologists in the world, and both of them believe in aliens. and And she was put. She said, you know, like people think that it's just dumb people that believe in this stuff, but she's like, these are some of the smartest people in the world that believe in this. And she, she, from what I can tell, she doesn't have an opinion about whether it's true or not. But she goes into this whole thing. And then near the, after the book is over, this billionaire calls her up, another person she can't name. I'm almost positive it's Jeff Bezos, but not, I'm not going to say for sure. And he gets her access to the Vatican archives, which for wow. anybody that doesn't know that like maybe one in what a billion people get access to the Vatican archives. That's probably actually true. I mean, they're, 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 it's like um, the most extensive library of books and research papers in the world. You know, people think it's all Catholic stuff. No, it's everything. It's everything, yeah. Including it's, shit you can't read anywhere else. That's, that's twice the Vatican Archives has come up in my life in the past 48 hours. Ooh, interesting synchronicity. Yeah, I mean, because we're, Crystal was, uh, she just finished Dune. Um, by the way, I I, I I I like put a blanket around her and and congratulated her for completing the journey that was Dune. I, I, <laughs> I forget how difficult a book that is to read. It is. Um, it is. It is slogging. It's like no, I, I'm not going to compare it to Don Quixote, but it's but it's rough. Um, and she she asked me, you know, what heavy gnarly thing she should read next, and um, we were talking about books that were strange and difficult. And I brought up the Necronomicon um, mm. and how there might actually be a real book called the Necronomicon and how it might be in the Vatican archives. Yeah. I mean, for anybody that doesn't know that they, they, 
supposedly all these books that, you know, banned books, books that have been burned, um, some by Catholics themselves, all supposedly exist in the Vatican archive. Well, not supposedly, 